Um, I love comedians that do impersonations. Do you, anybody else, you know, uh, there was an old guy, you might be old enough to remember a guy named Rich Little. He is really good. If you're, if you're young, go out on the YouTube and Google Rich Little. He's funny. Dana Carvey, all these people do, do hilarious impersonations of people. And you, when someone impersonates somebody or I- imitates them, they, they study their mannerisms, right? They study facial expressions, voice inflection. Sometimes they... They dress like them and are able to, to impersonate. I found a website of impersonators that you can hire for like a banquet or a party or whatever. And so I, I think this was okay. I downloaded a few pictures. Can you tell me who this first one is? You heard of him before? That guy, that's an impersonator and he looks just like him. And then there's this guy. This is Mike Tyson. Was that a good impression? This is Mike Tyson. I wouldn't say that to his face, right? All right. The next one, who's that? MJ. All right, this one I thought was really good, this next one. Maverick. That guy looks just like him. And then this last one, this is your pastor impersonating a fisherman. It's my only fish I've ever caught in my life, but I thought you would appreciate that. This morning, we're going we're gonna to look at imitating Jesus, the greatest life ever lived. How do we learn to imitate Jesus? We're told in the book of Ephesians, it says, imitate God in everything you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Discipleship is imit- learning to imitate Jesus. It's, it's, he gets to call the shots in our life, be the boss, and we learn how to live life by imitating him and putting into practice what he said to do. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. We often have made that in the church over the years of, I, you know, a good Christian does this, da, 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 and avoids this. No, we follow Jesus. So he, he gets to be the one that, that we learn to emulate. And over the next several weeks leading up to Palm Sunday and Easter, can you believe that that's already where we're at? But we're going to go through John's gospel, chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, and it's often called the upper room discourse. The Apostle John, different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke, takes, you know, he, he writes a lot about what happened on the night that Jesus was betrayed. He, he takes time to give details, more details about the things that Jesus taught his disciples in the upper room. And uh, it's, it's so beautiful. So I've titled this little part, Imitating Jesus, or Lessons from the Upper Room. Lessons from the Upper Room on Imitating Jesus. And I'm going to go through chapter 13 and 14 and just look at the different lessons or principles that Jesus taught about himself and how he wants his people to live. And the first one is the servant principle. The servant principle. Jesus said that the Son of Man did not come to be served, 
but to serve and to give his life. He is the ultimate example of serving. And so at the, in John chapter 13, after they have the meal, it says that, that Jesus, um, hold off on that scripture just a second. It says that Jesus washed the disciples' feet. He took the place of a servant. He put a towel around him. And he got down in the, in the attitude and posture of a servant, and he washed the disciples' feet. That might not seem like a big deal to us, but think of the ancient culture, right? First of all, they're men's feet, right? Like, I'm not touching men's feet to start with, but let alone feet in general, but the, the mode of transportation would have been animals. So they would have been manure and sandals and dust and grossness and more grossness on these feet. That he was willing to scrub their feet, though, and to take that, that place as, as a servant. Like, it's such a beautiful thing that Jesus teaches. He goes to tell them afterwards, he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. That blow your mind? Kind of like, wow, the king of kings, the creator of all things and sustainer of all things said, I'm going to show you what God's like. Years ago, I was on staff at a church called Faith Bible Chapel. Many of you are familiar. And I was on staff there before we started Novation for 15 and a half years. And every year they would do an Easter production with like a, go the whole week before Easter and um, songs and gospel presentation and thousands of people would show up to hear the gospel. And some of you may know this story, but it's worth repeating. Um, my duty one night as a pastor was to be in the lobby or the foyer of the sanctuary area, just kind of you know, mingle and make sure people um, were doing good. And this particular night, as I was walking through the lobby, I saw someone throw up. I don't like throw up at all, like, let alone someone else's. And I panicked and <laughs> I pretended that I didn't see it happen. And I went in the opposite direction. And, uh, I felt so guilty. I, I walked back to the scene of the crime, and somebody was already cleaning it up. And I was like, oh. I said, Lord, if this ever happens again, give me the will to be a servant. Next Easter, <laughs> I walk into the men's room, and someone had hurled all over the bathroom in there. And I was like, really, Lord? Like, I kind of meant it, but like, and I really, I went and got a hazmat suit and some rubber gloves and, and I cleaned, I cleaned the bathroom and I learned about the servant principle. I learned like, you're never more like Jesus than when you're serving someone that can't do anything back for you because that's, that's our Lord. That's who he is and what he's done for us. You're never more like him than when you're serving. Philippians chapter 2 talks about how Jesus, as God, humbled himself and took the form of a servant to come and serve you and I, to give his life. The second principle is the love principle. 
before I get into the meat of this point, who was one of the 12 whom Jesus washed his feet? Judas, who was about to betray him. Before Judas betrayed him, Jesus washed his feet. He showed him love. He showed him love, and he washed his feet. Jesus said to them, he said, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Not how much Bible we memorize, not how much we give to the church, not how much we come to church or how eloquent our prayers are. They'll know you're mine if you love one another as I have loved you. So I was thinking about that. How is this a new command? Don't you remember in Leviticus 19 when the law of Moses says, love your neighbor as yourself? This seems like an old command. The caveat is, as I have loved you, I washed your feet. I took the role of a servant. I did what you probably don't want to do when it comes to serving. As I have loved you. He loved Judas. Jesus said, love your enemies. Is there a harder command than to love your enemy? Someone who's opposing you or who's against you? Often when we think of enemies, we often just think of someone coming from a foreign soil to take, a, take away our American freedom or whatever. But no, an enemy is anybody who's against you. And that can be temporary in your marriage. That could be temporary in your family. It could be relationships. And he says, love Love your enemies. That's the most important gauge in our discipleship to Jesus is am I growing in my ability to love? Am I forgiving those who hurt me? Am I forgiving the unforgivable in others? That's where you're learning to becoming like Jesus. Like we think following Jesus so much as this outward do's and don'ts and lists, as I said before, but it's not. It's inward being transformed, learning how to think, act, and speak like Him, which ultimately comes to love, which 1 Corinthians 13 defines as patient, it's kindness, doesn't keep score, record of wrongs, all of that stuff. That's what love is. It's an action. It's not a feeling. Then he moves on to the trust principle. Jesus did all of these things, right? He was a servant. He loved unconditionally, and he walked in this trust with his father everywhere he went. He just was in this communion, and we forget Jesus is fully human. He wasn't a superhero or a phantom. He was fully human, just like you and I. He entered into this fallen world, but he learned and walked in trust to his father. He told the disciples, he says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. That's the whole story of the Bible is will we trust God? Do we believe that God is good? Do we believe that he has our best intentions at heart? That goes all the way back to Adam and Eve and their temptation to walk in darkness was God's disinterested in you. He's out there. He can't be trusted. Jesus came to show us that the Father can be trusted and that he's good. Will I trust God in everything? Dan and Andrea, um, that's their whole thing. God, we're going to trust you. We're going to step out in faith in our generosity towards the kingdom and th towards the church. 
and we're going to let you be the one to, to provide for us. I think that's a, a beautiful picture for all of us in every area of life, not just finances. Will I trust him in, in relationships? Will I will trust him, you know, that he's got this and, and believe him and trust his promises? And then Jesus gives us the prayer principle. There's a lot going on in the upper room in John 13 and 14, as we're going to see over the next several weeks. Jesus, he, he always... If you read through the Gospels, Jesus always went and got alone with his Father before he did ministry. Um, we often are the other way around. Like we, 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 we're just like on our last emotional thread before we go and seek God. And, and Jesus shows us in his life to flip that. Like we're going to be poured out in life. We're going to be poured out relationally, physically, emotionally. But we got to get filled back up. And, and having a prayer life that's that lifeline to the Father through the Holy Spirit is key to all of our spiritual growth. Don't wait to be poured out to get poured back in. Daily, go back to the source. Go back to, to who He is. Jesus said, you can ask anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And it's anything according to his will. I haven't got that Porsche yet that I talked to him about or the Maserati. Like, that's not what Jesus means there. He means anything according to his will. Like whatever is, we know is the will of the Father, ask him and he'll do it. And the person that wants to do the will of God will walk in the will of God. Like it's a, it's a, that's a simple principle. So if you wake up in the morning and say, Father, I want to do your will today. You will. You don't have to wonder. And then there's the obedience principle. Jesus walked in constant submission to his Father. Like, whatever, Father, you want me to do, I'm going to do it. I am submitted to you. What an example of that. Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. Well, what are his commandments? They're pretty simple. They all come back to love. And, to, and being others-centered and denying ourselves, and learning to be less selfish and, and, and more others-centered in our lives. I mean, that's really what his commands boil down to. He said, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Last week in the parable of the sower, I said, that good soil that receives the word of Jesus and then produces, you know, 60 to 100-fold crop, that so to be good soil is to find our joy in obedience to Jesus. Now, following Jesus is not easy, right? I mean, because he's doing, asking us to do things that are counterintuitive to our sinful nature, to the ways of the world, you know, selfishness and all that, to, to forgive and to love our enemies. Let's that doesn't come natural. But he says, if you love me and you find joy in, in obeying me, you will be good soil. So it's learning to put into practice those hard things. Maybe today there's someone that has hurt you and you're having a hard time forgiving them. Remember, forgiveness is not a feeling. It's an act of our will. 
To forgive somebody is to not take revenge and then try not to keep bringing it up verbally. It doesn't mean you're not going to think about it. But to learn to forgive is one of the most important discipleship things there is to Jesus. And he said, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Then there's the helper principle. Jesus walked in the presence of the Holy Spirit, led by the Spirit in everything that he did in his life. And he, he says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. The walk with Jesus, walking with Jesus, discipleship to Jesus is learning to rely on the person of the Holy Spirit. We don't want to give lip service to the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is the very presence of the Father and Son with us 24-7. You don't have to ask for more of the Spirit. He's asking for more of you and me in our lives, that we would, we would give way to the leading of the Spirit. The Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 5 gives an amazing promise when he says, if you walk in the Spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the sinful nature or the flesh. Those habits, those things that we know that are not good for us or are walking in the will of God, that's the desires of the flesh. And he says the, the ways of the flesh are outbursts bursts of anger and so on. You can see it easily. And he says, if you walk in the Spirit, or you be led by the Spirit, then you won't gratify those desires. That's, the, it, that's a promise. It's a principle, and it's a command. So if we learn how to do that, and uh, listen, I am such a work in progress. <laughs> how many know that to be true? Right? My wife knows that to be true, at least. But we're all work in progress. But do you want to walk in the will of God? If you do, you will. And it's just a daily learning and growing and in, in understanding and experiencing the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, we're told. And to be filled with the Spirit according to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5 is, is to give gratitude to God, sing, make melodies in your heart, sing hymns. All that we're doing is a means and an evidence of being filled with the Spirit, but don't just do it on Sunday for an hour do it every day. Do it every day. And then lastly is the, the peace principle. You look at the life of Jesus, he was at peace. And yet, what duress and stress situations. Every, people were against him. He poured himself out, but yet he was at peace. And he said this. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. He says, my peace. Peace as the world gives is based on circumstances. If my life's going the way I want it to go and everything's lining up, then I'm at peace. Jesus is saying, no, you can have peace in the middle of difficult circumstances. In times of, of, of chaos, you can have his peace because his peace is based upon him. Where's Tom Fields at? We come up here, brother. Guys, this is Tom Fields. 
he and his wife, Sheena, um, run our middle school ministry. So God bless him. Um, <laughs> takes a, quite the calling there. Um, Tom, we were yesterday at our men's core breakfast. Um, we, were, we were going, we were in the deep end of the pool about relying upon uh, Jesus and, and so forth and where we're at in life. And he just felt prompted to share with us men an experience that they've been through as a couple um, between 10 years ago and more recently. And I just, it's this, he's experienced peace in the middle of difficulties. I'll let you share. It's really bright up here. Okay, let's see. I can see better now. So about 10 years ago, uh, I lost my job and my wife, Sheena, was pregnant with our first kid. And it was one of those things that it was, it was so incredibly hard as a, as a father to provide for my family, and that was taken away from me. And I felt like this is a time I need to, I'll get two, three jobs. I will work my butt off, and I will provide for this family. And we, I did, and I did, and I did, and it just, it was so incredibly hard. And our circumstances, it was the worst time of my life. And looking back at, at the numbers, like, it doesn't make sense. We shouldn't have made it on my hard work. It, I, I, we struggled. I contemplated suicide to provide for my family in my death, in a way. And it, it, was, it was so dark. It was so... I tried relying on myself. And it was painful. And it did, it did not work. And looking back, we got through it because the numbers didn't add up. It had to have been God. And then about five months ago, I lost my job. And we looked at it much different this time. Sheena and I prayed. We asked for God to provide for us and help us to trust him. And our circumstances have still been very difficult, still are. But it's, it's that we're, we're focused on God. And I, I, I feel like this, this peace is among us, and we're still struggling, but we're focused on God together. And it's, it's Jesus. That, that's who we need to be focusing on each and every day, no matter our circumstances and, like, I have a little verse I wanted to read for you in First um, Thess Thessalonians 5. And this is Paul talking. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Paul wrote this in prison. Like, whatever circumstances we're going through, it, we need to focus on Jesus. He is our, our rock, and when the storms come, they will come for each and every one of us, some more frequently, and that, that's okay. It's who we're focused on with Jesus. He, he gets us through the good and the bad. Um, I want to go ahead and say a, a prayer. Um, I know there's people in this room, people online, who are going through storms, whether it's financially, 
uh, with their health, with relationships, all the above. So let's pray. Jesus, help us to, to call on you in the midst of the storms that come in life. Help us to put you first. Help us to focus on what you have done for us and not our circumstances. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, my brother. Will you stand with me? We're going to go into taking communion this morning. As Tom was talking, it was, I felt deep in my heart that some of you, you got a crisis going on here and you're having a hard time finding peace. You're not going to find it through worry. You're not going to find it in the world. You're going to find it when you just say, Jesus, you got this. It's a simple prayer. It's a simple attitude or posture of our heart. And I pray that for all of us. And as we take the bread and the cup this morning, we're remembering Jesus' mission. He came on a rescue mission to defeat our enemies of sin by nailing it to the cross. He willingly submitted himself to the cross so that we'd be, we wouldn't have to walk in shame, guilt, but we could learn how to grow in his grace. And he defeated our enemy of death by his resurrection. And that though we die, we'll live because he's the resurrection and the life. And then he defeated the evil one. He stripped away the authority of, of the evil one and, and the kingdom of darkness. And now we walk in the kingdom of light because of his life, death, and resurrection. And so he told us, told his disciples and passed it on to take the bread and the cup and remember what he's done for us. So there's uh, communion tables here and there's some in the back for those of you that are more in the back of the room there. Um, but you can come and grab the communion elements, go back to your seat, and then we'll take it together as a family.
Back in the times of the Bible, times of Jesus, um, people would go town to town, village to village, and they would announce the victory of a kingdom. If a war, an enemy had been defeated, they would go and announce that, you know, this defeat had happened and bless the king and all that. And they were called evangelists because it was good news. That's what they were. They were bringing good news to the people. You heard that word before? <laughs> we are living evangelists. We are living testimony to the good news that he defeated our enemies of sin, death, and the evil one. You can't add to the work of Jesus, and you can't take away from it. He did it all. And the last thing he said on the cross was, it is finished. He finished what he came to do. Now, for you and I, it's learning how to live in that freedom and allowing that freedom and the, the gospel, that good news, to transform how we think, act, and speak and become like Jesus. And one of the means that we have is in your hands right now of the bread and the cup. The Apostle Paul said, for... I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. 
He goes on, he says, in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take the cup. Jesus, there's no words that we can say thank you enough for what you've done. May our lives, may how we treat one another be an offering of thankfulness to you. How we treat our spouse, how we treat our kids, how we treat our parents, how we treat people we work with, our neighbors, may how we love be a word of thankfulness to you for what you've done. You have set us free, and we agree with you today that you are Savior, you are Lord, and we want to walk with you all the days of our lives. We know that times are going to get tough and chaotic, but you've given us your spirit, and we rely upon him today. You're the best. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.